stand on my tiptoes to reach the peephole on the front door. I recognize the face. It's one of my aunties. As I open the door, I greet her with, Jo-san, good morning. I'm about 10 years old and my aunt has come to visit my grandma. They started chatting a bit about the latest gossip while my grandma went off and grabbed this maroon-colored aluminum box with gold design. It feels like one of those old boxes that every grandparent seems to have in their house for sewing supplies or random knickknacks. This box used to hold mooncakes, a Chinese pastry typically made for the moon festival in autumn. But now, the box was filled with a whole bunch of small, empty glass jars, with one large jar in the middle filled with some kind of dark liquid. I remember watching my grandma pull that big jar out of the box and seeing the sediment of ingredients shift and swirl at the bottom. The smell of herbs, ginger, and alcohol are still burned in my brain. My grandma sets the box down on the dining table, then grabs a stack of paper napkins. She grabbed the first one and then folded up the sides with a quick twist of her fingers. Then she did another one and another one until there were a whole bunch of these twisted napkin spires spread all over the kitchen table. They were all about an inch tall with a flat base. I still don't know how she did it. This wasn't for some kind of fancy dinner setting. My aunt was here for a cupping. She lied down on one of the guest beds, and curious, my sister and I poked our heads in to see what was going on. My grandma asked my aunt where her pain was, and that's when the show started. My grandma wet her fingertips with some other mystery liquid just enough to run them along the lip of one of the small jars. Then, with a jar in one hand, angled near the napkin on my aunt's back, and a lighter in the other, she lit the paper and swiftly placed a jar over it. Smoke filled the jar, and an immediate vacuum was created. She repeated this process for every spot my aunt was feeling pain. By the end of it, my aunt looked like a porcupine. But instead of quills, there were these jars all over her back. It's a sight you don't forget and it was something that happened fairly often growing up. My grandma watched my sister and I while my parents worked, and oftentimes family members would come over and my grandma would do this cupping procedure for them. I remember one time she made me a hot compress with boiled leaves in it. They were from a plant in our backyard, and she said it was good for getting rid of a sty that had formed on my eyelid. My mom often used traditional Chinese medicinal ingredients in her broths, things like jujubes and goji berries. It's not really something I thought much about, using Eastern traditions in everyday Western life. That is, until I came across the Instagram account of Alice Sun. I really want to like teach people just like a different way of eating, a different way of thinking about food. And so that's kind of how I got into sharing more about Chinese medicine. Alice goes to Columbia Business School by day, but at night, she creates recipes using some of her favorite Chinese flavors. And recently, she has been incorporating Chinese medicinal practices and philosophy. She was first interested in looking into her relationship with food because she was experiencing extreme pain, and there didn't seem to be any answers. I wanted to learn more about Alice and her story, and we recently chatted about how she uses food to heal herself and connect with others. Hello, welcome. Could you talk a bit more about yourself and like maybe what you do for your career and things? Yeah, sure. I'm pretty much a very classic like Chinese immigrant kid. I was born in New York City. My parents worked in New York City for their entire lives. 
And so I've really just kind of grown up in the Queens area when I was really young and pretty much kind of stayed within the tri-state area for most of my life. Growing up, I always had the intention of going to medical school because my dad was a doctor, but that was also a very stable career path that most immigrant families would highly recommend their kids to do. And I liked science. I really enjoyed it. So that's kind of where I really just focus like all my attention in school on is getting into a good college and going to medical school. But I, throughout that time, had always had this passion for creativity and art. So I remember when I was a kid being like nine years old and signing myself up for drawing classes because I wanted to, I just wanted it so badly. And if I didn't do it myself, I knew my parents wouldn't do it for me. So I would sign up for things like that. I remember doing like musical theater um, for a summer before I had to really start doing like all the SAT prep stuff. And that was like the best time ever. It was so much fun. It was very, very fulfilling. And I continued to find ways to in insert creativity into my life. So when I was in college, I also had joined the acapella group because I loved to sing. That was just like a really big passion of mine. And there I got really involved and started doing a lot of business manager sort of work where it was like finding gigs for us to perform at and to make sure that we had enough budget so that we would be able to record a CD and things like that. And that kind of really sparked sort of an interest in business for me. And when I got into like my senior year of college, the MCAT was looming and I remember reading about Theranos at the time, but I I was reading the article and a sentence that really struck me that the CEO had said was business can be used as a tool to affect change at scale. And that's kind of what I really wanted to do. So after college, I worked in high growth startups for around five years. I also had a stint in China working for a telemedicine company there in 2018. And that was actually kind of, uh, I think the, the birthplace of like how I got really interested in Chinese food and Chinese cooking again, um, because it was the first time where I was really living in Shanghai and China for a really extended period of time on my own. Um, so I love food. I've always loved food. I tried starting blogs, food blogs when I was in college just to try it out, but still always had this passion for food. So I was just eating a lot, all these different types of foods in Shanghai, really understanding, oh my gosh, like there's so much regional cuisine that I don't understand, like I've never heard of, that I don't know about. My parents don't know how to cook this. They don't really cook. And we always eat the same things over and over again. And this is like a completely new side of my culture that I had no idea about. And I just got so excited. And I remember going to the Chinese groceries. Every time I go somewhere new, I always go to the grocery store to like really get to know a place. I feel like it's the best way to sort of like embed yourself into wherever you are, whenever you travel. And I remember going there and just seeing cuts of meat that I had no idea what they were. Like there's no like prime rib, there's no steaks, it's shin. It's like stuff that you just like don't see in the Western grocery. So I was like, this is like opening a, a huge book that I've never like had access to. And I was just so excited to get back into it. So uh, 
came back from that and just started cooking a lot, got to learn a lot more. Um, and at the time also, you know, pandemic was happening. So cooking is like one of my passions. So I started cooking a lot and I was like, oh, well, I'm cooking anyways. I might as well post some pictures on Instagram. Doesn't hurt, right? Like no one's doing anything. <laughs> so uh, that's how it started. And I saw some really positive feedback from just like my immediate circle at, of the time, which was like just my acquaintances on Instagram. And because I had this background in growth marketing and growth hacking in the past, I was like, hmm, interesting. Like, let me see if I can sort of understand the SEO and algorithm and of these different platforms. And so that's kind of how I really started. And then after business school, I'm going into the video game space because I've always had this like, I think especially after this experience, I think social media is a really fascinating sort of ecosystem and also a type of creativity. But I think a lot of social media has also learned so much from the gaming community and also like the, the communities built within video games as well. <laughs> So what got you into Chinese medicine and, you know, the herbs and ingredients? So I had really bad period cramps. So kind of, it got really bad starting around the age of 15. There, it was, there was no reason for it. There was no, I wasn't like diagnosed with anything specific. It was just, oh, you tend to have like such bad cramps to the point where you're throwing up, you're having cold sweats and you can't move without being in excruciating pain and you're like blacking out from pain. And there was just no cure. Like they were like, you can either get pregnant or go on birth control. So my parents and my family, Chinese medicine has always been in our lives in different ways, whether it's through like little things where you add stuff into food or just even deciding, oh, like with spring coming in, like we need to be more cognizant about eating more of these types of foods so that we can protect our bodies as like the seasons are transitioning. So that's always been in my life, but it, it didn't really become as important until I was at that point where I was like, I have nowhere else to turn to and let me just give this a try. And I noticed that as I started to shift my diet according to how my body was feeling, that's when I was experiencing like the biggest results and, and changes. And when I did follow sort of the suggestions and recommendations for like, here's how you should slightly change your diet, here's how you should slightly change your lifestyle, um, be aware of these things because they're making your symptoms worse and then correcting for it and actually seeing an, a result from that. I was like, okay, this is something that I, I sort of want to continue living my life by and it's helped me so much. And then now fast forward into like when I was creating content at first, I was just making a lot of classic Chinese dishes because I was interested in doing that anyways. And then at a certain point I was kind of getting a little sick actually from like creating this sort of food because a lot of the food that works on or gets like a lot of views and all that stuff on social media is fried food or just like foods that look like comfort food. And if you're eating a lot of comfort food all the time, it, it kind of like messes your system up because yeah, it's just like not good. And I was like, I don't eat like this. And why would I be sharing food that I'm not eating? It just feels weird and wrong. And I was like, yeah, that's 
that's kind of where I really want to teach people just like a different way of eating, a different way of thinking about food. And so that's kind of how I got into sharing more about Chinese medicine. How did you start? Did you find books? Did you find research? Like what were your resources to learning about the ingredients? It was a lot of like reading through Chinese sources. I went through a lot of different documentaries I would watch or even like going on Chinese social media. There's this uh, website called Xiaohongshu. So I would like kind of read up on a lot of the things that they were sharing there from different practitioners and doctors. And then also I read this book called Between Heaven and Earth. That one's really good as like a primer. And I think that this is like kind of similar to how I think about like my own culture and like how I build my own identity is like, yes, like Chinese medicine is a certain discipline of medicine, but it's not the end all be all. It's not like, oh, you know, I'm going to completely give up Western medicine because we have Chinese medicine. I sort of like would pick certain things that I myself have incorporated into my life. So for example, like diet, that's why I focus so much on diet. So I really more look for, oh, what are like simple everyday things that we think of as just simple ingredients, but can have like a really healing component. Could you explain the yin and yang of how the body works? Because like in Cantonese, there's a phrase, yi hei, and that's in that realm of like the cooling and heating of one's like balance of their body. Could you kind of explain a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I would say in Chinese medicine, everything is sort of governed by different elements. And like there's about five elements. It's like metal, fire, wind, earth, slash wood, and water. And so all of those are components of your body. And like when you're born, you're sort of your body is just more, it could be born in a way that's more metal. It could be born in a way that has more earth, et cetera. So that's kind of like the foundation of how Chinese medicine sort of sees your body. And then there's energies that your body sort of contains. And when you're in a balanced energy state, everything's working pretty well. You know, your digestive system is growing great. Your skin is great. It's plump. You know, you're not feeling inflamed or thirsty. Your hair is like shiny. Things are great. <laughs> but then what happens is it's always a balance of cooling energy and then warming energy. And I would say that warming energy is more categorized as yang. That's like kind of the energy that where you get like motivation from. That's that's the energy that sort of pushes you to like do things and get things done. And then yin energy is more of the cooling energy that you need to always make sure that you have enough stores of, because that's kind of the energy that like maintains everything in your body so that you can go out and do things and go out dancing and things like that. Like, for example, if you go out for a night, you're drinking pretty hard, you're dancing pretty hard, you're just being very social. And then the next day you wake up, you have a hangover, you don't want to talk to anybody, you just need some time alone. Yang is the stuff that gets you to go out and talk to people and dance and do fun things. Yin energy is the stuff that you're kind of building back up the next day when you're sort of nursing yourself back to health. So for example, I tend to over index on yang energy. And so that can come out in ways like I'm, I tend to be pretty anxious of a person. I worry a lot about things because I'm like constantly thinking about all the things that I need to do and what's not being done. So that also manifests in ways like I have really sensitive skin where it tends to uh, get 
irritated and inflamed the more stressed that I am. And so that's also kind of a reflection of, oh, you tend to just become more inflamed because your young energy is just coming up too strong. Folks with a yin, more cooling energies, uh, sometimes tend to have trouble getting motivated to do stuff. They tend to potentially like want to procrastinate more um, and just wait until the last minute before doing something. And then when it comes to like the body, uh, you can tend to feel a little bit more sluggish, a little bit more bloated at times um, because you just need some help kind of getting your circulation back up and um, getting your yang energy back up. Um, so that's kind of how I would categorize like yin and yang and like the different energies that affect your body. And then the seasons can bring different levels of energy to your body too. So when you're in the winter time, it's like a cold wind that you really need to protect yourself from. And it's important to drink a lot of soups to protect your body from that. And then now in the springtime, it's important to reinvigorate your body again because you've been staying stagnant in the cold indoors uh, during winter time. So foods can really help adjust and balance your body as it's going through these different periods of stress, of life that's going on, and even seasons. What are you hoping to do in like the gaming industry? And do you hope to extend your Chinese culture or um, content into that? Yeah, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've never had a chance to talk about this, but um, yes, definitely. I would, that would be an amazing outcome. So I'm, I'm just like a media junkie. I love everything everywhere all at once completely was life-changing of a movie. The fact that it's being recognized like this is amazing and hopefully just paves the way for more of these types of stories from these different perspectives. And in the gaming industry, uh, there's, I mean, some of the games that I love the most have the most beautiful stories. For example, God of War, that's been one of my favorite, favorite, favorite games to play. Just from the perspective of like, the relationship between the father and the son and also interlacing sort of a lot of mythology into this world and having fun with it. Um, for those who don't know, like uh, God of War is sort of like this action video game, but it actually spans like across a lot of different worlds and is really at the center, a story about a father raising his son to become his own person. But when it comes to, you know, like, Chinese culture and, and sort of bring that back in. I think of video games as a different method of storytelling and in some ways even a more immersive experience of telling a story. Um, I think it's like the ultimate form of storytelling in general. And so like one of my biggest hopes is like, there's so much folklore in Chinese history. There's like thousands and thousands of books that have been written on these different gods, these different sort of like celestial beings in Chinese history. But I think, you know, for a lot of reasons, um, it's not really brought to light in either Chinese media or in Western media as well. So I would love at some point to create something that like carries influence from those stories. Yeah, that would be an absolute dream. Yeah, and I agree. I think there are a few times where some of the folklore comes into video games like I know the Monkey King comes in quite a few games but it's a special avatar character or you know it's not quite uh, I, mean, I don't know I'm gonna go a little deep in this but sometimes I feel like it's just the ploy for 
companies because they want Chinese consumers to spend their money. And I get that. I totally understand. I'm in business school. Like, okay. But at the same time, I think there's so much more opportunity when you can flush out a full story. Like, I think the demand is always going to be there when you have a good product and a deep, well thought out product. I think I've been seeing it a lot more frequently, um, not in video games specifically, but just like everywhere else. Even this most recent like Lunar New Year, the amount of like red envelopes that people have been coming out with it's great to see banks and other people kind of creating these to have more variety and stuff. But at what point is it this kind of surface level and like, just, we want your money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, at what point does it just become disingenuous? So as someone that is doing all of this, how do you feel that ties into your identity as like a, an American or as a Chinese American? Ooh. Yeah, I've actually been thinking about this a lot recently because I've been making a lot of really good friends who are in business school, but they're from China. They were born there. And there's always this interesting disconnect where I will feel like, you know, it, it can be something as simple as when I speak Chinese to them, they get very surprised because they don't expect to hear me speaking in Chinese to them. So there's that kind of oh, I, I still feel a little bit of an other. And then at the same time, you know, I'll, they'll learn about my content, they'll learn about what I'm talking about, and they'll be like, wow, you're like my Chinese grandma. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> That's a lovely comparison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of interesting to have the, a, a bit of cultural tie-in, but still be seen as very... Like, you are American, you're not necessarily Chinese. But at the same time, I also love that difference about myself. It kind of makes me able to tell stories from a different perspective. And, you know, maybe that's also why my content is well-received, because I can see it from both the side of you know, traditionally, you know, how do we talk about this in Chinese medicine? But then also from the perspective of actually, like, I'm someone who grew up not believing in it, and then also actively rejecting it, because I thought that it was so off from what is correct, what is the right way to do things. And because I've struggled with the thought of binary thinking of like, I am either this or that, that I'm able to create a completely new perspective and a perspective that I can call my own, not necessarily better or worse, but just a, a unique perspective that I think bridges cultures together that is ever more necessary than ever. Because like for so long, I felt like, oh, it's something to be ashamed of to be an American born Chinese or in an American system um, when Sinophobia was really, really prevalent, I think when we were younger, um, I, I wanted to reject any part of me that was Chinese whatsoever. It's been a really interesting process of showcasing my pride for my culture that's separate from the political situation going on in the country. Very well put. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Uh, it kind of ties into that. How can we bring more stories like this into, you know, into the light of 
public eye. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like, we're in such a global world, and it's just getting more and more tied together, whether it's, like, geopolitically, culturally. Technology has done so much to connect us in so many ways that we haven't been before. I, I mean, I just think that in the next like five, 10 years as Gen Z also, you know, starts to grow older and a new generation comes along, they need more stories like this. I feel like every time something like this stuff comes out, it just gets gobbled up because we've been so starved. Um, so I'm excited. I think it's a great time to be in the world of media and storytelling. And um, it's a great place to, to be an immigrant. That was my conversation with Alice Sun. You can find her recipes, shop ingredients, and join her Discord community at her website, alicecsun.com. That's A-L-I-C-E-C-S-U-N.com. Alice is also on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, at alicecsun. For more information on this episode and the series, head to pbsreno.org slash refugeesdaughter. And a special thank you to Alice for joining the show. Subscribe to Refugee's Daughter wherever you listen to podcasts and give the show a rating and review. I'm Christina Lee, and thanks for listening. This episode was written by Christina Lee with production help from Divergent Point Media. Refugee's Daughter is a presentation of PBS Reno.